here's this porn star, and it's like, oh, well, I guess you got over that whole being nude thing. <laughs> Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the great monkey man from the north, Peter. He's a living embodiment of meh, would be Cecil. You guys are surfing the, for maybe looking for some of these movies that we're going to be talking about tonight. You need to use a VPN, and that would be where you go to Nord, Nord VPN. But you got to go through the link 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN, and that will take you to Nord's site. Well, they'll, they will encrypt your data. They will mask you online. You'll be able to, to use remote locations. So, hey, you want to watch something that's only available in England? Boom. You now want a server in England. You can watch that thing. But you got to use the link at 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. And for only $3.49 a month, that's 75% off of a three-year plan, you can have Nord's protection. And then also, if you just want to, you know, go to a website that, after you've got Nord, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. All that crap out of the way, let's talk about horror films of the 80s. Peter wasn't here for the first half, but Cecil and I talked about 80 through 84, so 1985 was literally that middle year. Because you had horror films, you had the slasher boom was kind of rolling down at this point. You had horror films entering the mainstream, the real mainstream. I mean, up to this point, you didn't have major studios putting millions, you know, tens and twenties of millions of dollars behind horror films as often. I mean, obviously you always had this. They were always making horror films. When it comes to 1985, what horror film jumps out at you? This is a hell of a year. I mean, this is kind of a banner year for horror films. You have a lot of stuff that's um, released that would become classics. I mean, this is the year... The First Night on Elm Street, uh, Return of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, which in my opinion is Romero's uh, best zombie movie. But I, one I'd like to spotlight, uh, and technically it came out in 84 in uh, the UK, but in 85 in the States, was Ghoulies. Well, I do want to correct you. Nightmare on Elm Street was 1984. Was Nightmare on Elm Street well, 2 was, was 1985. Yeah, that's true. Also going to do a similar thing because, you know, with uh, Return of the Living Dead and Reanimator and the stuff, so many great movies. But I am going to talk about a very obscure one, a little film called Rocktober Blood. Fantastic soundtrack. Just a neat little movie that unfortunately did recently get a Blu-ray release, but the, the guys that did it were kind of shysters vested into it with the crowdfunding and really, really sucks. Because it's a movie that deserves better, but unfortunately now i with it. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a really neat little horror film. See, I'm actually torn between two different movies that would be my pick for 85. One, Life Force, because Matilda May running around as a naked space vampire rampaging through well, London. Yeah. 
I'm actually going to go out of the country. Demons. Demons is an amazing movie. I think it might be the most beautiful looking movie of 1985. Oh, yeah. There's a a lot of influence. He didn't direct it, but, you know, Argento was a producer on it. You know, it's it's Lamberto Bava directed, so it's like you've got a guy, you know, the son of Mario Bava who really knows his shit. And you've got you've got Argento in there producing it, and obviously had some hand, I think, in the aesthetics at least, in like kind of teaching uh, Lamberto some of the ropes and stuff. Uh, Demons is absolutely a great looking movie for for many reasons. That like look who's attached to it. But I, I also want to say like look at Phenomena, or as we got it in America, Creepers. That's the yes. Argento movie of this year. That movie is so beautifully lit, as any Argento movie is. It's it's basically Total Eclipse of the Heart as a horror movie, and <laughs> no, am I wrong? It really no. It's it's a beautiful looking movie. It's it, it's totally cl- it's a Bonnie Tyler music video as a horror film, and I don't mean that as an insult to Bonnie Tyler or Phenomena. It's also one of uh, one of Jennifer Connelly's first movies. We also had one of uh, Jim Carrey's first movies this year with uh, Once Bitten. That movie I still think is not only hilarious, but <laughs> I think is more prescient now than it was then. When he's at the drive-in and. Everyone is having sex, and like all the cars are rocking, and he's... Best part is, because in a PG at that time, you got to say f**k once. They used their f**k brilliantly in that film, in what is the (laughs) funniest scene in the movie. Mark doesn't want you, because you're mean and evil. He wants me, because I'm nice and sweet and pure. So fuck off! And also, I like the meta nature of it. They're chasing them all around, and all of a sudden, Lauren Hutton's like, Can you at least try the doorknob first? I have to replace every one of these doors tomorrow! And then they open... <laughs> I'm like, okay, that was really funny. Yeah, it's got a lot of funny moments. There was an interview um, after, I think, Dumb and Dumber came out, where Jim Carrey was talking about uh, Once Bitten... And he was saying how he wanted to play it more wacky. And there's really only one moment in the film you kind of see Jim Carrey doing his his shtick. And as much as I like Jim Carrey when he's doing, like, Ace Ventura and all that, it wouldn't have worked him being the Ace movie. Yeah. So he was talking about how, you know, they didn't. They didn't allow him to be brilliant. In this case, it's not that kind of movie. It w- you know, you being like that, it wouldn't have worked. The movie works yeah, with him. I feel like kind what, of he, being what the he loser, did for the movie you know? really worked for it. Thing with Once Bitten, we could do a whole show on the train wreck that that was behind the scenes. <laughs> Once Bitten, everybody hated it. The producers hated the film. Jim Carrey hated the film. The director hated the film. The film ruined the screenwriter's career. He literally oh. had to go back to working at a video store, and he said the most humiliating moment he's ever ever suffered is when someone came back to return that movie on VHS and said this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen and whoever wrote it should be should never be allowed to make a movie again and his manager pointed out the guy vacuuming the carpet over there he wrote it oh, that's rough. god how do you not hang yourself you know, like- other than once bitten we've also got stuff like we've got silver bullet maybe one of the dumbest Stephen King adaptations of the 80s, and that's, say- that's saying something. Hey, but great performances from uh, Corey Haim, and uh, one of my favorite Gary Busey characters. He's, he's so uh, fun and uh, charismatic in that movie. I actually don't even think Gary Busey was acting. I think they just gave him a pint of bourbon and just let him go. <laughs> that one, that movie has one of my favorite uh, werewolf transformations, though. Like, I love it when the eyeless priest or whatever starts, like, 
transforming in that tunnel or whatever it is, and then he just beats the beats the cop to death with uh with the club or the baseball bat. Like that's a great creepy scene, but really really well lit. Very um, there's some nice like even if it is kind of a like a dumb movie about like a silver half bicycle half motorcycle thing. Like it's got some really cool uh, werewolf moments in it, and some some genuine genuinely creepy moments in my opinion. I think I think Silver Bullet's pretty underrated. Well, we also had for Stephen King Cat's Eye where. Well, one of the segments works. I mean, it's an anthology, and <laughs> one uh, of them works. I like all of them. I did not. You you like, uh, what, Quitter's Inc.? Yeah. I don't know. I like all of them. They're all enjoyable in their own way. They're all very distinctly French. Which is, uh, which is interesting, cause a lot of anthologies, they kinda have a similar vibe, but this, like, varies dramatically. The smoking company that will, like, every time you get caught, or you're trying to quit smoking, every time you get caught, quit, uh, trying, trying to smoke, they do something horrible to you. It's run by the mob! It's run by the mob, <laughs> you know? Up to and including, they rape his wife because he got caught smoking, and then it ends, the thing where the guy has to climb around the outside of the building, and then it goes to the girl fighting off the little goblin who's trying to steal her soul. It's really, it varies wildly, but uh, I've always had a soft spot for it. I feel like it does what, what an anthology movie is supposed to do. I like that the stories are, are like vastly different. It's like a different vibe for each one. It's why I really like the, the one, um, I think it's called Body Bags. Like every story in that one is completely different. Body Bags wasn't meant to be a movie. I, I, I talk about- It's gonna be a show. Yeah, I talk about this in my book. That was supposed to be Showtime's answer to Tales from the Crypt. And yeah. when it didn't work, they just th- threw all the segments together and said, hey look, now it's a movie. I'm glad they they salvaged it to some extent because there's some some nice little features in there. Was it Stacy Keach with the living hair? Yes, yes. The, the, yes. It was actually That's aliens. Excellent. That was aliens <laughs> as his hair. I love that one. But then this year also brought us kind of more artsy fare that didn't work, like The Bride, Frank Rodham's movie with Sting and Jennifer Beals, where. I think they made the wrong movie with this one. All the stuff with Dr. Frankenstein and his bride and all that was boring as hell. Clancy Brown as the monster and then you you've got you've got Igor and their friendship. That's the interesting stuff in the movie. I didn't care yeah. about Sting and Jennifer Beals. I wanted Clancy Brown's plot line. You guys made the yeah. wrong movie. Not in a long time. I don't know. I don't think I have, but that's I would like to watch uh Clancy Brown as the monster. You know, we have uh, William Malone's Creature, the, hey, totally not alien movie, (laughs) but I happen to dig Creature, maybe because I know William Malone, but I've always kind of liked the movie. It's got a lot of problems. I'm not going to say it doesn't, but I Return of the Living Dead's out this year. Yeah, well, so is Day of the Dead, (laughs) and this one's so nihilistically dark, you were getting no comedy out of no this. No Pilato, just like scene stealing performances every time he shows up. Like it's it's why it's my favorite. I love him so much as Captain Rhodes. I actually like Lori Cardell. Well, everyone's great. I think she. It, it, everybody plays off each other really, really well. It uh, absolutely was not like people just didn't get it at the time, and it has since gone on to be very, very beloved. Like, Return of the Living Dead was so good because it was funny, but it was also scary and had some amazing visuals. But Day, it was just so depressing. Mm. And I think people really weren't prepared for that. It was, it was, here's like the end of the zombie war. It was nihilistic. Yeah. And I Nobody think- Nobody was really like, 
good or bad in that movie. Like, both the scientists and the soldiers had, like, major morality problems. Yeah, but, I mean, if you think about it, who is going to be the ones that survive? Ones that are the most cutthroat. And I stand by Romero on this because of how screwed the system was. It was uncut, which meant it only made in, like, 10% of the theaters it would have if he'd cut it to R. So it made oh, no money. As that's what bothers me about the rating system. As long as you're making, like, if you're making a film, as long as you're not making hardcore pornography, there's no reason why it shouldn't be able to play in a regular theater. I think it's ridiculous. As adults, you have other adults telling you that you're not adult enough to watch this. I think a highly underrated Friday of the 13th film, I think A New Beginning, is a lot... Part 5 is awesome. Because oh, pe- people immediately dismiss it. That's the one without Jason. Yeah, but it's actually a pretty decent film on its own. Good. It's, it's got some of the best, like, uh, side characters. It's It's got a great performance. Um, What's the, the dude that plays John, like, Tommy John Jarvis? John Shepard. He's so good. He's so good at playing, like, a traumatized Tommy Jarvis. He's like a very realistic version of him of what he would be after he he suffered the events of the fourth film. Like, the, like a natural progression uh, of what he would be like in this halfway house. I love the idea that it, it goes back to what the first film, was, first film was, which was like a whodunit kind of thing. You don't know who the killer is, even though they, they do kind of sloppily uh, reveal it by accident by playing the spooky sting music. Just guy that ends up being the killer makes an evil face. The part five is awesome. Great music, great direction. Uh, same guy that directed Savage. It's got a very, it's got more of a sleazy feel to it than a lot of the other Friday the 13th do. Like there's some nice like neon lighting in there, here and there. It's great characters, like decent, uh, inventive kills. Overall, I think part five is one of the most, uh, underrated of, of the franchise and in my opinion one of the one of the best sequels one of the best movies in the whole franchise overall i would say see i i know why you like it those goddamn enchiladas <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, baby hey baby i think it has some of the best kills really entertaining and i don't think it deserves a fraction any of the hatred really in a way halloween 3 yeah uh, Friday the 13th series, you know, because it's not Jason, then but really, it is like, you don't really know that it's not Jason until the end of the film anyway, I don't know, it it was kind of a neat departure, and it was a way for them to to do it without Jason but to keep it going, until they figured out, alright, well we gotta bring the character back we gotta, let's resurrect him from the dead and just go balls out, (laughs) so yeah, they um, they, they found a really great way of incorporating Jason in that movie as more of like a trauma of like a, like a like a PTSD kind of thing from Tommy. Like Jason may be dead, but he never left his mind. Like he's having hallucinations. He's seeing him in the mirror. He's seeing him outside. Like he's still haunting him, even though he's dead, which is a great touch. I thought that was awesome. Well, 1985 also brought us Fright Night, which we've talked about in a previous episode where I'm just not a big fan of the first movie. I understand why people like it, but I like the second film way more than I like the first one. So Fright Night to me is just eh. They even, although it, the thing that always gets me about Fright Night is I had seen Fright Night after years of Married with Children. So I'm watching it and I'm like, why are they trying to make Marcy Darcy sexy? <laughs> it's not that she's a lesbian in real life. I've never thought she was even remotely attractive as an actress. Yeah, like, I have no issue with her. She's, she's really funny. And I've always, I think that, uh, on Married with Children, her and Al going back and forth were just, it was hilarious. I never, I never found her attractive either, but she always had a very, 
even though she is gay, which but she has a motherly neighbor Gladys Kravitz sort of thing going on, which is really I think just shows how strongly I uh, associated her with her character. It was just funny to me, like I'm watching it and I'm like, I, I, I just it, it was like it was like it was like watching like an ant try to be sexy. <laughs> when you when you play type for so long, it's a. Uh... It was kind of the same thing with Brian Cranston when he started doing Breaking Bad. Like, he was still kind of the dad from uh, from Malcolm in the Middle. So it's like, it, it took a little while to warm up to him, at least for people who, because he had always kind of done comedy. So it's like, now he's like this serious actor. So it's that's what uh, playing type can, can do to you if you do it for so long. I, I had sort of the same problem with Married with Children when you watch like on Miami Vice or on an old Hunter episode where Ed O'Neill <laughs> is like a is a he's like a super corrupt FBI agent and he's a killer. <laughs> oh my god! And yeah. I'm just like, oh, but that's Al Bundy, you know? I mean, he's the one that goes like kind of off the grid and, and become he's like deep undercover as like a. But drug it's just like, hey, whatever, that that's Al Bundy, you know? A, that's an awesome episode. That's, he's a great actor, man. Even those like. Short, short, brief segments that he has in uh, Wayne's World, where he's just like ranting about the system and about murdering a man and, and tearing a and man's heart out. Like passion. that's so good. <laughs> I, I think Ed O'Neill is uh, quite underrated as an actor. I really like him. And he sang Booty Time. But then 1985 also brought us Ghoulies, as we discussed, which I think is a great movie. Ghoulies. Ghoulies is just awesome. Ghoulies was the surprise success of the year. That film on its own, kept Empire Pictures alive for another two years. When it comes to, like, the little rubber monster movies, like, I I love it so much. I, I, I remember discovering, it was the second one I saw first, because I remember the guy getting uh, in the trailer that gets bit in the ass, or, or bit by, by, I don't know where the ghoulie bites him, it could be anywhere, from Ghoulies 2, and then the, the first one some years after that. And it's just, it's so much fun. You, you've got, like, you've got, like, occult stuff, you've got the the spooky house you've got the rubber monsters you've got like midgets in robes like it's it, as uh joe bob would call it um midget foo <laughs> it's just just an awesome movie i've, I've always loved uh, always loved ghoulies and ghoulies too gave us uh, a fantastic uh, track from wasp well ghoulies charles band credits the complete success of the movie to the poster which he was initially against that one with the ghoulie in the toilet and then the tagline <laughs> yes. oh, they'll, awesome. they'll get you in the end haha uh -huh. because <laughs> well first of all he was shown that poster and there was not a scene like that in the movie so they had to go and yeah. reshoot the part and, and add and... that scene he thinks without that poster that movie would not have been the success that it was that that poster made ghoulies i think he may be right about that because that's a really iconic poster it is and they recently put out a, um, on, I don't know if it's still on the Full Moon site, but you can buy a little resin toilet with the ghoulie. I, I have that. <laughs> Charles Band sent me one, sent me one of those. I have that sitting on my desk. Oh yeah. I, that, that's my toilet ghoulie. <laughs> well, I do think that's largely why the film was a success. Just as ridiculous as it is. Like, that that's, when you think ghoulies, you think of the ghoulie popping out of the toilet. Yeah. But then, when you think of Hills Have Eyes, what do you think of? You think of it being a movie where a dog has a flashback to a previous movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs> Hills Have Eyes 2 doesn't even really count as a movie to me, because it's only half a film. But then there was also, and we did a whole retrospective, so we'll gloss over, How Willing 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, Christopher Lee and Reb Brown, come on, Christopher Lee trying to go undercover in a punk club? What else do you need? <laughs> yes, and the hair? He's got his hair all done up. Oh my god. Oh my god. 
and just red brown coated in denim screaming at everything. Just what a movie. What a what an acid trip of then, a film. Then there was Nightmare on Elm Street two, which I think is a movie I love and I hate. It is an absolutely pathetically bad Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but on its I don't own agree with that. but on its own I really like well because it, it it's not a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Nah, I don't agree. I I think it's it's a solid still a solid Freddy movie. And Mark Patton, just similar to John Shepard in part five is uh, awesome. Like, what a great uh, survivor character in that one. It's Because he's not only a guy that's getting, like, stalked by the killer or whatever and going through problems in that regard. Like, he's also, you know, suffering growing pains. He's going through transitions in his life, and he's suffering, like, insecurities and trying to get along with people at school and stuff like that. Like, it's both an 80s slasher film and a coming-of-age story. Like, I think it, that's why it's one of the most solid ones, in my opinion, in, in the series. I've always loved... Uh, I love two a lot. I love the makeup on. I think two is my favorite. Freddy Krueger and wet and syrupy. He looks all the time, and and just some of the effects are brilliant. Like like when he rips his way through through Jesse, um, just comes out of his his torso is just awesome. Some of the some of the best best horror effects, and just all awesome Kruger lines as well. You are all my children now. Like that's awesome. That's that's his. Freddy Krueger as it gets. But then 1985 also brought us Reanimator, which we literally just talked about a few weeks ago, so we'll gloss over. Uh, You know, we've got Return of the Living Dead, which, if it's between Return and Day for 85, while I think Day is the more well-made movie with more to say, I like Return better, though. Return is so entertaining. And there's uh, there's quite a, a rich history of rights struggles that goes along with Return of the Living Dead because when Night of the Living Dead came out, Romero and forget who the other guy was, but they were Riso. in like rights issues of who gets to keep this name, that name, one guy one guy got to keep uh living, I think, was like living dead was like the term he could use, but like Romero couldn't, which is why the sequel was Dawn of the Dead and not Dawn of the Living Dead. I love Day of the Dead, but One of the Living Dead is just so much more of a crowd pleaser. Trash being, uh, having two of the most scenes in horror history. Uh, the first thing. Naked in a graveyard. Yes. Just the, the, the zombies look phenomenal. The fact that they're like the, the fast zombies after we'd been the slow moving zombies. It was just kind of a different take yeah. on the whole thing. Uh, some just brilliant visuals. It, it's really just an awesome film. It's such funny. a punk rock movie. It's That's such very... a punk vibe to it. Yeah. And what's, what's crazy was for years they had lost the music rights to a bunch of the songs. Mm. So they had to use like, you know, placeholders. And uh, finally, they were able to get nope, the rights nope. issues worked out. There, there's, the there's, there, there's one no, song, da- the, um, the Dam's Deadbeat Dance, is still not on the DVD versions. There's still one song missing. Oh. The, when we first get introduced to Suicide, when he's driving the car and he's like, you know, you got money for gas? That's a different song. <laughs> You'll have to go to the VHS to get the original. Oh. There's still one missing song. Uh, well, at least they got most of them, but still it sucks. Like, that's something I really hope that they, they have figured out moving forward to put clauses in. Like, I understand 
if the movie goes to a new, if it goes from Blu-ray to whatever is going to the next thing after that or whatever, that there's some sort of thing in there that makes sure that the original people still get paid, but that it doesn't, you know, screw them over and then they don't have to take the songs out. Because how many products have we lost because they've had to remove the music from? And in certain instances, like with the Werewolf TV series, there's one song playing during a very, very, very essential moment in the series and that's what's holding it back, because the people that own the rights, they will not allow it. That's so annoying. Cindy Lauper is who you're talking about. Is it Cindy Lauper? It is Cindy Lauper. It's in the nightclub scene. Oh. Because Cindy Lauper also would not let them reuse her music for Miami Vice. There are three songs. The Miami Vice, the complete series set, there are three songs they couldn't relicense. Two of them are Cindy Lauper songs, and they have sound-alikes that are actually so close. If I didn't tell you they were sound-alikes, you wouldn't know it. You see, Cindy Lauper. But Cindy Lauper. It, it, it's this Cindy Lauper. Roddy Piper hit you with a framed painting. Okay, this is why you're doing uh, what the proactive commercials now. <laughs> <laughs> so then we move on to 1986. 1986 was a banner year. I'm just looking at this list going, damn, that was some good stuff. Well, first of all, do we even need to talk about how great Aliens is? Because Aliens was sort of the best film of the year. I don't think there's any debate over that. There's not going to be a better horror film in 1986. I don't care what anybody and says. it's one of the best uh, Vietnam Vietnam War movies ever, too, because the whole thing is like an analogy of the Vietnam War. Uh, I actually just watched uh, Aliens again this past week for a video that I'm currently working on, and it uh, it holds up in every possible way. It's just a phenomenal a film. I mean, holy! Mm-hmm. I watched. Uh, I hadn't seen it in a while. The director's cut that put in all the missing bits, the the butter, the uh, the the hallway scene with the guns, like all that stuff that uh, got cut for the theatrical. And man, just what a what a powerhouse film! I mean, it's got everything you could possibly want in a science fiction film. You know, emotion and action and uh, amazing effects and oh, it's just. Some inc- incredible cast. Just what a what a brilliant movie. Speaking of an, of a brilliant movie, now you got to remember the slasher films as we know them are starting to wind down at this point. The slasher boom is over. You've still got the franchises. You still got a Friday the Thirteenth, The Nightmare on Elm Street, stuff like that. You've got Texas Chainsaw Master Two coming out. So you still have the big ones. In general, the slasher boom is winding down, and you know when any kind of boom starts coming to an end or starts overstaying its welcome, you get the, I don't even, I don't, this isn't even a parody, but you get the satires. And I think April Fool's Day is one of the best slasher movie satires out there, because the first time you see it, you do not see that ending coming, oh, and you think it just... I hate that ending. I hate that movie oh, so much. I love this! Day. Come it's on, Peter! Because even the, like, because even the title, then, it all kind of comes full, like, full circle. I was watching it with uh, my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, but um, she had never even heard of it before. So we start watching it. Ten minutes into the film, she sees Muffy, and she's like, wait, who is that? I recognize her. And she grabs her phone and goes to look it up on the IMDb, and I grabbed it out of her hand because... I was like, if, if she sees Muffy slash Buffy, it's going to ruin the whole movie. So I was like, no, you can't. She's like, what? What are you doing? And I'm like, you can't look. <laughs> Just watch Just the movie. Watch it's, the Deb- movie. it's Deborah Foreman. It's Deborah Foreman, okay? Yes. But I, I like April Fool's Day. Peter doesn't. I still think it was a, one of the smarter slasher movies out there. 
Because it, it, it's technically not even a slasher movie once you yeah, know the so, end. like, you don't actually see any of the kills, which at first you think, oh, this is cheap. The MPAA got a hold of this. You know, all the kills happen off screen. And then at the end you go, oh, I see why. I see why, because this movie sucks. <laughs> well, and then there was also Jim Wynorski's Chopping Mall, which I just showed my girlfriend a few weeks ago. Now, that one is no, awesome. No, it's yes. a, it's a dumb movie. The these right pe- way. These people the are right dumb. Well, it's a Roger Corman movie. Well, yeah, so. of course, about robots in a in a shopping mall <laughs> blowing up uh, Barbara Crampton's head. Kelly Maroney is working at the pizza place, and she drops the the pizza, and corn goes everywhere. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what pizza place is wall Roger Corman movie posters? Just oh, right. Okay. Oh, it's such a fun, just awesome movie, though. But we are going to talk about Trauma, Class of Newcomb High. Oh yes. No, I recent I have seen the newer ones that they made like a few years ago, but I recently watched one, two, and three all back to back. Three is garbage. I thought two was shockingly better than I remembered it being. But three was kind of a mess. Like it sort of felt like they pieced it together from unused footage or something. Like it felt kind of kind of off. Yeah, but but Class of Newcomb High, the first one, I love it. It's it, it's a, it's it's a trauma movie that even though Toxie doesn't appear in it. It really feels like it takes place in the Toxic Avenger universe. Oh, yeah, it's total well, it does, uh, slime, slime blopola kind of stuff. It's great. Now, I want to gloss over Critters because I would like to do a full Critters retrospective, but I, I, I always, I liked Critters in 86. I thought that was a great movie, so I, like I said, I want to gloss over that because I would like to do a full retro. But then mm. there's dumb shit. Like, we, we, we talked about it in our Wes Craven retrospective. Deadly Friend is just a bad movie. I love that movie. Great. Of well, course you do. But then this year also brought us Demons 2, which I don't enjoy as much as Demons. Uh, I'll admit that. Still fun. But I like I like Demons 2, but Demons 2 is a weird sequel in that it's a sequel that's not a sequel. They watch the first movie on television. So it's not a sequel, but the first movie's a movie? What the hell are you doing, Bava? It's like they made a movie about the events of the first film because it happened... And it's like there's this, uh I don't know, like, the demons are like, I don't know, they, they like quarantine them or something, and then they come back. Like, it's a really weird meta sequel. It, it, it's sort of like how in Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, which is a direct sequel to 2, which is a direct sequel to 1, she watches the first movie on television. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait a second. The, the first movie the original. The yeah, and you're like, okay, w- wait a second. What? But then this year also brought us Evil Laugh, which reason anyone will ever seek out this horribly bad movie. Kimmy McCammy is in it. Who is Kimmy McCammy? Future oh, King of Kimmy McCammy? Yeah. Huge future porn star Ashlyn Gear in one of her horror roles. Okay, here's the weird thing. She's one of the few porn actresses that could actually act, but not yet. Because she is awful in Evil Laugh. She well, couldn't act yet. Dakota was talking about Kimikami in uh, Creepazoids, where she was supposed to do a nude scene, but she, like, was really uncomfortable and didn't want to do it, and then... Uh, Linnea Quigley got it. Linnea, yeah, Linnea Quigley was like, I'll do it! Because Linnea Quigley has no problem, you know, being nude. So she ended up doing and he's like, years later, here's this porn star, and it's like, oh... Well, I guess you got over that whole being nude thing. <laughs> we're, we're all going to clash. I, I I totally get why people like Cronenberg's The Fly. I do not. I Fuck never liked you. it. I, I, 
I don't like this movie. I find it, I, I find it boring. I find it tedious. I do not like this movie. Oh my god, what's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. I don't like it. Objectively great film. You you just don't like it not to like it. It's just, you're just like, everybody loves it, so I've gotta hate it. Crucifying. Yes, because that's, that's the, that's the way I was in 1986 when I saw it in the theater and didn't like it then. Die. This year also has the best Friday the 13th movie, Jason Lives. Oh, yes. Without a doubt, it's it's the best film in the entire franchise, because I think it's... It took Tom McLaughlin, and again, we're going to go with this April Fool's Day kind of thing. He didn't make a straight Friday the 13th movie. He injected not only a lot of humor, but satirical elements of the franchise up to this point. And I don't know why, but that works so well for it. It kind of had like a, a tongue-in-cheek quality to it, which not, none of the sequels really had yet. Like there was, there were humorous elements to them, but this one was kind of like, there's, there's some things that they're kind of poking fun at, but they're doing it in a, in a loving way. It's still got a great Jason in it. CJ Graham did a, did a wonderful job. What's his, oof, god damn it. Uh, Tom Matthews was awesome as Tommy Jarvis, even though, even though they kind of forgot the whole PTSD thing from, from part five, but. He's still really good as the as the heroic leading man type. I've I've always very much enjoyed Part Six. Great soundtrack too. Some some awesome tracks from uh, Alice Cooper. Lots of fun. Lots of blood. A a really entertaining entry. And there was a moment where because they had gotten C J Graham later on. He was working at like a bar and he was doing a thing where he shows up dressed as Jason. It was like a Halloween event or something. And they decided to go with him for the role, and they had already shot footage, I think it's with the paintballers, of a different guy playing Jason, and he's He's a rather um, portly fellow. Definitely does not have. You can you can definitely notice it if you watch for it. If you've never noticed that, it is a a different, much fatter Jason in the paintball scene compared to the other scenes where you have Jason played by C.J. Graham is is who is quite a a strapping stud. He, he's probably the like a lot of people talk about how Jack like Kane Hodder is like C.J. Graham was a muscle mountain like this is one of the most intimidating jasons of the entire franchise but then the, this year also brought us from beyond which again we talked about in our awesome lovecraft retrospective we've got the boring art film gothic of course british <laughs> there is what might be the most disturbing horror film ever made henry portrait of a serial oh, killer God. yeah no, 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 technically, this is cheating to put this in 1986, because that's when it came out in art houses. Yeah. It was, it did not get anything outside of a token release until 1988. Well, it took a while, yeah. So, well, so most of us didn't see this till the later 80s, but technically it's a 1986 film. My God, I mean, this movie, you feel like you need to shower after watching it. You don't, you, you don't, this mm. is not a, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is not a fun horror movie. Henry Portrait of a Serial no. Killer is a documentary about a fictional person, kind of based on Henry Lee Lucas, but kind of not. It is a very uncomfortable film. It uh, It is a great film. One of those ones, kind of like Martyrs, you really, you don't want to watch it very much. Great performances. It's it's just a very unpleasant film, but it's but it's a great film. It's just it's hard. It's it's so hard to kind of put that into the thing. It's like yeah, this is a movie that you should see. Just know that it's going to ruin your day. You have to be in a certain mood to watch it. You have to know that you're you're going into a very nihilistic, just greasy, depressing world that uh, the character of Henry lives in and the people that he 
associates with. Like, this is a guy that just, no real motive, just enjoys killing people and killing people in different ways so he doesn't get caught. Just incredibly disturbing. Amazing performance from, from Michael Rooker. And if he was like a well, delivery there's man. There's a couple or of different stories about how he got the job. J- John McNaughton said at one point, yeah, he was looking for who he was going to play Henry and he had the, the script from the writer FedExed or whatever over to him. And, and Rooker was the, was the yeah. delivery guy. And, and, you know, he, 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 he opened That's the door and he just too. said, Oh God, please tell me you can act. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one I've heard. I don't know if that's uh, if that's true. Like, I kind of hope it is because that's great. Sounds like in recent story, years, yeah. Michael Rooker has told a completely different story about how he got the script from his agent and all this. So I don't know what the true story is, it's, but it was like uh, it was like a theater house. Kind yeah. Of actor. Like, so he, he was I, I, acting. So I, I don't know if it's John McNaughton was just taking the piss out of the story, or yeah. So that's just there. There are multiple stories about how he got hired on this. I do not like this movie. I did not like the sequel. I did not like the remake. The Hitcher has... do not like Green Eggs and Ham. The, the Hitcher <laughs> has never worked for me. Rudger Hauer is good in it. Uh, I don't like the movie. That's awesome. I love The Hitcher. Yeah, same. Of course you do. Now, the, the next couple, I want to... It's weird how many movies in 1986 we've done in our in various retrospectives. House came out this year. We did a full retrospective. Let's breeze over that. Invaders from Mars film. came out this year. We did a retrospective on the films of Toby, the canon films of Toby Hooper. Let's gloss over th- let's gloss <laughs> over yeah. that. Poltergeist 2 came out this year. It's garbage, but we did a full retrospective. Let's gloss over that. Psycho 3 <laughs> came out this year. Way better than it has a right to be, but we did a full retrospective. Let's really gloss underrated. over that. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 came out this year. We've done a retro, we've done technical too, because we did it as a Texas Chainsaw retrospective and as a, and a <laughs> as the canon films of Bobby Hooper retrospective. So let's gloss over that. So let's talk about the movies of 1986 we haven't done in retrospectives. I know Cecil likes the movie. I do not. Killer workout. Oh, I'm sorry, excellent. David A. Pri- Dave, David A. Pryor sucks no, as a doesn't. director. Awesome. Oh, shut your mouth, dude! Come on, it's so good. Like I love the David A. Pryor stuff. How can you like freaking? Deadly Prey and the Killer Workout. Ah, it's just Final really... Sanction. It's one of the best yes. ones. Robert Zadar versus uh, Deadly Prey. Right. They're just these small, entertaining films. You know, that's action, horror, whatever he decides to cover. Usually action or horror, but uh, sometimes action and horror. They're just, they're fun. Like, I'm not looking for high art. I'm looking for women in spandex and a mysterious killer. Killer Workout teaches you the valuable lesson of never get into a fist fight unless you're fresh from a workout. Because if you notice, the people who win fights in this movie, they, they put in a solid bench session first. Well, and then there's Maximum Overdrive, which we covered in our Stephen King retrospective. Yep. There's Little Shop of Horrors. I, I mean, I guess technically it's a horror film. I mean, it even has horror in the title. I satire, I, I guess. It's, it's kind of, kind of tongue in cheek. I really dig the, the remake. This is one of those few times where I like the remake better than the original. Is this Little the one Shop, with uh, Rick, Rick Moranis? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 uh, the Rick Moranis remake is, uh, is one of, is just phenomenal. The, the original, I think it, it has its charm, but yeah, the, the remake, I think, hit all the right notes with it. Steve Martin as the dentist to me is the, uh, the, the scene stealing character. That's just no, so, so no. funny to see him play a character like that. No, right. B- Bill Murray as the psycho dental patient that was played by Jack Nicholson <laughs> in the original. You're that's sick. the that's the scene stealer. 
is Bill Murray. <laughs> I, I just wish the original, the, you know, the original Godzilla ending had been left in the movie because I love the original ending. I even love the music in it. I don't know mm. why they cut that. But I, you know what? It's I gotta I gotta go with them on this. I like like because I didn't see it until they released it on uh, DVD. You know, years and years later, the movie is dark. The having it end with Audrey basically eating everything and becoming you know huge. And, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it would have worked better as like a dream sequence or something. But I kind of liked it that they didn't end it on it being a completely depressing ending where they eat. They eat everybody. You know, they eat Audrey. They eat Rick Moranis. It, it felt like a betrayal, you know? <laughs> You're just a pussy. <laughs> I just, I just, I would, I'd rather, this is a case of where I actually was happy with the happy ending. You need a happy ending. Right. Not everything needs to be depressing and dark all the time. You want happy ending? <laughs> well, not, not that kind of happy ending. <laughs> but then this year also brought us, which again we talked about in our werewolf retro, Monster Dog, where Alice Cooper and Claudio Fragasso were trying to make a bad movie. <laughs> Neon Maniacs, the movie that asked the question, and I know the behind the scenes, Cecil, but asked the question, what happens if we just don't care? Well, I wouldn't uh, say they didn't villains care. that you stop with f***ing water. I think that it was like, there was more there that they just, they couldn't do. They had some amazing monster designs. Yeah, they look great. And I like uh, that's one I, I I need to dig into that one a little bit more. I know I did a video on it, but I I want to know more. I want to know like what the hell happened. I be I believe the story that I've gotten was just that they ran out of money and they could not shoot the the ending proper, which is mm -hmm. why the film just kind of ends abruptly. I I need to know. Okay, fine. Then what was the original ending going to be? But then there is Night of the Creeps. We're talking about alternate endings. I like the ending that wasn't on the theatrical prints better. I like the TV ending better, where the aliens come back looking for the thing, and Tom Atkins is, I mean, he's dead, but he's kind of zombieing into the into the cemetery. I don't like the dog sh shooting into Muffy's mouth ending. I don't know, I mean, even even Fred Decker didn't like that ending. That was the, no, we need a jump scare for the end from the studio. The only one yeah. I've seen is the is the version with uh, Tom Atkins uh, walking into the graveyard with the aliens coming back. I, I haven't seen any other version of the film. That is that is the TV ending. That's the oh. original ending. But they shot a version where the the dog that missing earlier has one in its mouth, and that they you know after everything the house is burning down, she picks up the dog and then it shoots a slug right into her mouth and then smash oh. and then smash cut to credits. Okay. That's the that's the theatrical ending. Ah. Fr Fred Decker shot that ending in protest and i agree that ending doesn't work as well the only thing that's the only thing that's a bummer is i like the uh the original ending where uh you know they're all headed into the uh the graveyard but it just sucks because it's like well i don't want Fred, i don't want uh tom atkins to be to be dead like he's awesome like, well he's dead in both versions but he's different kinds of dead but I mean, he's, it's, it's different kinds of dead. Like, he kind of goes out a hero, the one, and in that he kind of goes out where he's been uh, taken over by the zombie, by the mm. zombie slugs. This year also brought us Clive Barker's Rawhead Rex, the movie with the googly-eyed demon that Clive Barker tried to have his name taken off of, <laughs> as he should have. Great story. Wow, does the movie not work, yeah, like, at all. Uh, I really don't like the way the the monster looks he looks like a like a power rangers villain i really don't like it just for the simple reason that 
they tried to make him look like too hardcore. Like he, he just looks like, like a, a villain that would be on Power Rangers that they'd be fighting that has like a heavy metal headbanger theme to him. Kind of sad that the weakest point is the monster. Yeah. Like I think it really, it worked. Like if they had been able to make it look good or maybe gone the Jaws route and didn't show it that much, mm-hmm. uh, it probably would have worked a lot better. But because you see it and it looks so silly. It's so uh, goofy. It, it, it's still like, I enjoy it, but it's still like, you can, you recognize that, yeah, this is silly. Like, it, it, I, I'm not afraid of this at all. It's just goofy. But then there's also Slaughter High, the most British film that's trying to be American <laughs> that I think I've ever seen. This film is British through and through, clearly shot in England with British actors, yet they keep insisting it takes place in America. <laughs> and it's that sort of Canadian syndrome of, no, we can't let people know it's in Canada. <laughs> I'm sorry, Slaughter High is one of the most British American films I've ever seen. <laughs> if the movie, it's just funny, oh, we have to, like, it's one thing if they're going out of their way to, to make some place look like someplace else but when they're hiding like where it was shot it's like just who cares like just i think you're taking take place wherever yeah you're, you're putting too much stock in it that. even uses you know, april it... fool's rules from england well we can just survive until noon then april fool's is over uh, you realize that's only a british tradition not the american tradition right but, but then there's also Spookies. We could do a whole episode on just what a disaster that was. The only reason to watch Spookies is for the cool special effects scenes, because Spookies is three movies all in one, and I mean that literally. Yeah. It's three different movies edited together to attempt to form one movie. I mean, hell, even the film stocks are different, Cecil. Well, no, I said, I said kinda. I didn't, like... It kind of works. Like, I mean, it's still, it's, it's amazing that they were able to make it, like, even work, like, a little bit. But I think it, it's, it's a bizarre film that, I don't know, I, I think it, I think it works, but it is, it is hard to really wrap your brain around because, Mm. yeah, it is three movies, three partially made movies that they merged into one movie to try to, like, try to salvage something out of it. Then there is Terror Vision. Which I think is a shockingly underrated movie. Terror Vision is so much fun. If you have not seen Ted Nicolaou's Terror Vision, you have to. It's, it's like a living cartoon. And I mean that in, that's what it was intended at with the garish colors, the over the top characters. Yeah. Even the, even the fact that this is a movie about swingers and gore and boobs. And no one swears, and there's no nudity in it, and there's all the violence, people bleed green. This is literally the closest I think we got around this time to a live-action cartoon. I love Terrorvision. I just did a video on it, uh, what, two months ago? It's it's fantastic. It's ridiculous. It's everything kind of amped up to 11. The various cliches of uh, characters, the, the punk rock daughter, the heavy metal boyfriend, the uh, swinger parents, Vietnam vet grandfather or i'm sorry or not the vietnam but the the world war ii vet grandfather latchkey kid yeah th- that also has basically elvira crossed with medusa for the horror host really a ridiculous movie that's just lovable and uh great soundtrack uh from a fibonacci fibonacci's uh fibonacci's i thought fibonacci's yeah really really good stuff uh, I've always had a soft spot for uh, television. Then there is Charles Martin Smith's Trick or Treat, which might be one of the best worst Halloween movies ever. I mean, you got Ozzy Osbourne as a preacher preaching against the evils of heavy metal. That alone is <laughs> worth it. 
What's the name of like the rocker dude that the kid like worships? Semi Kerr. Semi Kerr. Yeah. He was uh, originally Blackie Lawless of Wasp was approached to play that role, but he turned it down. The guy that played it was a solid gold dancer. Oh, <laughs> well, you could tell when they're doing the segments that he's spinning and dancing and all that crap. <laughs> but then there is Troll, the first Troll movie, which, okay, I know Troll's not even a real franchise, but... It's the that, first Harry Potter film. More or less, but then I, I want to... name is literally Harry Potter. Be- before we go tonight, I want to talk about Vamp. Is an amazing movie nobody seems to have seen. I think Vamp is so... Amazing. First of all, Dee Dee Pfeiffer might be the cutest she's ever been in Vamp. It is such an underrated weirdo vampire satire comedy, but played 100% straight. You need to see Vamp, and Grace Jones, the stories are she was beyond difficult on the set, not showing up, showing up high, not wanting to do her lines, I'd like to do it in this way. Apparently Grace Jones was a complete prima donna on set, but on camera, she is f***ing chilling. In this. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like, yeah, Vamp's, Vamp's great. And the uh, the death sequence of uh, Grace Jones is insane. You know how usually when somebody becomes a much larger star, they, they poo-poo all of their early horror movies? Mm. Dee, Dee, Dee Dee Pfeiffer loves this movie, and she says right on camera, this might be the favorite role she's ever had. Oh, wow. And I, I like the fact that Dee Dee's like, no, I made Vamp. And then there is Witchboard, which I want to do a full retrospective on. And then there is Zombie Nightmare. Because I know Cecil would want to talk about The ra- the Wrath with Charlie Sheen, but that doesn't count. John Micklethor. John Micklethor and Adam West and Tia Carrere. <laughs> but, so we will pick up 1987 next week. For right now, where can people find The Cecil? Uh, find me at uh, goodbadflix.com uh, as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can people find the great monkey man from the north? Of course, on Twitter at Cinematica, YouTube the Cinematicus, Facebook the Cinematicus, 1201beyond.com, and at Patreon at Cinematica. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. We will finish out the 80s next week. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. To the events you have just witnessed Similar events in cities across America Events which bore a striking resemblance To the ones you have just seen begin a career Subsequent to the events you have just witnessed Unsuspecting chunks from Maine to California Made the acquaintance of a new breed of fly trap And got sweet talked into feeding it blood
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.